Well, this evening we go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number one, and we're going to be sharing together in the month of December about the miracles of Christmas. Can I tell you, no matter who you read about, who is a part of the events of Christmas, is encountering a miracle of God's grace and love and provision. Now, not everybody chooses to receive the gift. Hello? Some folks, they are going to push it back. Some people are going to say, it's not for me. But let me tell you, God is a miracle-working God, and His abundance is shown to us at Christmas time. Let's take our Bibles. We welcome those who are joining us via streaming as well tonight. And let's go to the book of Luke, starting in chapter number 1, reading at verses 5, 6, and 7. Are you ready? Let's share there together tonight. This is what it says. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Look at somebody and say, say Herod's time. Okay, we're going to get to that in a minute. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were very old. Now as you look at those verses tonight, we often, as we come to the beginning of the Christmas story, do come to the book of Luke chapter number 1 or maybe sometimes even to Luke chapter number 2. And, and often we begin by speaking about the account of Mary and the angel Gabriel appearing uh, to her and sharing with her. But let me tell you, friends, as we think about that, there's things that happened even before that that tell us about what Christmas is all about. And this evening we're going to to open up a little bit earlier than where we maybe naturally would. History tells us that the time of Jesus' birth, there was a lot of expectancy going around, all around the world, that something was about to take place. Can I tell you that God stirs people's hearts and makes them aware that He wants to touch them, amen? I believe we live in those times right now where God is stirring people up and making them alert and making them aware that he is on the move. And history tells us that there was a sense all around the the known world at that time that the next king, the next great king was going to come out of the region of Judea. In fact, even as you get into the book of Acts, chapter number 2, we begin to see in Acts chapter number 3 that when Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost, it describes that there were many people coming from all over the world to the places of Jerusalem and, and to the places of Judea because they were attaching themselves to the people and to the God of the Jews. And there was another reason for that. You see, people had been living in darkness for a long time. It was an idolatrous world. It was a very pagan world. It was a harsh world. It was a world where people were following gods that required sacrifices, but they really couldn't do anything for them. And let me tell you, friends, that's the way that it's always been in our world outside of God. It's always been one that offers something but never delivers. Hello? It's always been a place where there was an offer of something good, but there was a hollowness and a shallowness. 
Many of the people looked around at the multiple pagan gods and they said, you know, there's something different about that God of the Jews. He is a powerful God. He's a God who requires, uh, he requires people to be pure and holy. And, and he's the one who is described as the creator of all things. And so there was a yearning and a desire to know more about the God of the Jews. You say, Pastor, how does that fit into Christmas? Well, think with me about the wise men. Wasn't it that they were looking at the skies and they knew that there was something that was powerful taking place that was drawing them again to the land of the Jews? Why? Because God always keeps his promises. Can I tell you, friends, never give up on the promises of God. Amen? Never give up on the faithfulness of God. We also know, though, that the days right prior to where we're reading tonight were known as 400 years of silence. All the way from the time of the prophet Malachi, the last book that we have uh, in the Old Testament, to the time when, when uh, we hear of, of this announcement that's taking place right at this time, there had been an intense season of anticipation of the coming of the Messiah but nothing had happened. It had been a quiet season. Have any of you ever gone outside expecting to hear something? And as you get outside, all you sense is the quiet and the darkness to the level that it's almost a little bit eerie. Ever, anybody ever been there? Oh, it doesn't usually happen in the city. Hello? But if you're out in the country, if you're out under the stars, you can... In Envision, and you can even feel a, a darkness that almost oppresses you. It's, it's almost something that overwhelms you. And the people of those days had gone through a season of quietness where God's word was very, very rare. Friends, let me tell you, most of us don't know what it's like to not hear from God. You know, I hear people say sometimes, well, pastor, I don't really know if I hear from God. I, what is it really like to, to hear God speak to me? I want to tell you something, friends. God is speaking to us by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit all of the time. Just by you being in this place tonight, can I tell you that God is speaking to us by his word? God is speaking to us through prayer. He's identifying with us by giving us a confidence. Sometimes you just know deep inside of your heart that God is making a way where it seems like there's no way. You don't understand how or why, but it's described this way as a peace that passes all understanding. Praise God for that. In the midst of this, though, I want to talk to you about the miracle of Christmas that is a miracle of great light in a dark time. So let's go back to verses 5, 6, and 7 of Luke chapter number 1. And let's read them again. And we're going to pull some things out of that passage. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly look at somebody and say blamelessly oh we'll come back to that in a minute but they were childless because elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old so the first thing that i want you to notice just in those few verses is this truth this passage begins by saying that it was in t the time of herod king of judea now this Herod, there's several Herods that are mentioned in Scripture, but this Herod in history is known as Herod the Great. 
He was a great builder. In fact, the temple that they enjoyed, much of that was built under the direction of, of this king, King Herod. But he was not a Jew. He was, in fact, um, a, a person who was an Edomite or a, a descendant of Esau. He was connected in some ways to Abraham through Esau, but he was not really a Jew. He was a, an Edomite. Some would refer to him as an Idumean. Herod is considered to be, historically, a rash and cruel leader. We know that later on in the account of, of Jesus' birth, as it's described of the, the death of the innocents, or the murder of those children that were two years and under, that he tried to wipe out in fear that a Jewish king would rise up and, and would take authority from him. He was so pa paranoid in his mind that he even killed his own son, who was to be the heir, and his wife. You can read about it in history. He was a man who was crazed in that way, but at the same time, his cruelty was known. He was known as a powerful man who would do anything at all to hold on to power. Does that sound like politicians today? Come on now. Do anything that was required to hold on to that ability to reign. But he wasn't the only one. I told you this has been 400 years, a, a season of, of darkness. Oh, in our series on the book, the book of Daniel, we talked about Antioch, Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus IV, who was a, a Greek tyrant of the Seleucid Empire who reigned in the second century BC. He tried to outlaw Jewish worship of God. He tried to just completely do away with it. He's really known as the, the Greek Antichrist. He was the type of, of the Antichrist that we hear about coming in the future who would, will be the, the great Antichrist of the end times. And he was a man who oppressed the Jews. It was a season of darkness. We hear of other groups that rose up like the Maccabees who came to overthrow that that time, And then we hear the Romans coming. And again, the Romans oppressed the Jews. And so we hear of these revolts and revolutions and now of, of Rome's dominance. But this, this was a season of spiritual darkness and it was a season of human darkness. But I want to tell you something. In the midst of this darkness, Zechariah and Elizabeth are living their lives for God. And can I just tell you, friends, even in the midst of darkness, you can live your life to be a great light. All Scripture puts it this way. Let your light so shine before men, come on now, that they may see your what? Good works, and you'll bring glory to the Father in heaven. And so we begin to see these initial individuals who are part of the, the account of Christmas, the miracle of Christmas, rising up. It says in verse 6 that both of them were righteous in the sight of God. How many of you know that that is quite a testimony? A righteous family, husband and wife in God's sight. Observing all the com Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So they're considered righteous. They're considered blamelessly observing the commands of God in their own season. But let me tell you, even when you do your best for God, can I tell you, you may have your own season of personal darkness. Well, how many of you are awake tonight? I know it's Wednesday night. I know it's a, it's a season that we've kind of been busy. But let me tell you, anybody know something about personal darkness? 
I'm not talking about what's going on in Washington or what's going on in Santa Fe or what's going on down the street. I'm talking about the, the battle within that you're facing. And they had their own struggle that they were facing. And it was a, a battle with infertility. You see that? It's right there. Pages of scripture. It says that they were childless. That they were not able to, to have, a, have a, a son or a daughter. And there was a stigma that it was attached to that that accompanied it. This reminds us of the present time. We live in dark times of unrest and conflict. Isn't that right? Any of you notice that there's conflict and still in the Middle East, there's battles between the Ukrainians and the Russians. There's tension between North Korea and others. There's battles between what's going to take place in China. There's all sorts of tension. There is unrest. And yet in the midst of this, your focus may not be on what's happening out there. Your focus may be what's happening in here or right up here. Hello? Your own season of darkness, your own battle that you're going through. But one of the greatest miracles of Christmas is that it brings hope and light in the midst of darkness and despair. How many of you appreciate light the older you get? Come on now. I went to the, the optolem, op, ophthalmologist the other day and they were checking my eyes. And you know, you do, as you get older, they, they do the thing where can you, you have an option. Would you like to see far away or close up? Right? I mean, they just tell you straight up. And I said, well, you know, I'm a pastor. I kind of need to see close up to be able to, to read things so I can share with, with folks. And he said, that's fine. You're going to compromise some of the, the longer view. But one of the things that he told me is as you get older, the more light you have, the better you see. Right? True story. How many, I see a lot of people shaking their heads saying, yes, sir. That is a true story. And, and I've noticed something else. As we get a little bit older, how many of you appreciate things like Christmas lights a little bit more? When I was a kid, I did not have a great appreciation for Christmas lights. I'm just going to put it out there. I remember that my parents, a lot of times on Christmas Eve, right before we were going to go open presents. How many of you know you get excited about opening presents when you're a kid? And they would make this, you know, this, this statement. Hey, let's all go get in the car and go look at Christmas lights. I did not have an appreciation for that. Older I get, hey, the more I like that. The more I think that's kind of fun. It's kind of enjoyable. See what's out there. Enjoy, en elongate the, the season, the anticipation. But let me tell you, there is something to be said about light in the midst of darkness. It's interesting that scripture denotes that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And then it goes on and says, and they were both very old. I mean, we said, that doesn't seem very nice. Come on. Don't underscore the obvious, right? They were both up in years. Have you ever experienced a miracle, a God intervening event where there is no other explanation but that God showed up for you? It wasn't because of, of you. It wasn't because of what you brought to the table because it was because God showed up and he shone a light in darkness. And I'm here to tell you, friends, part of the wonders of Christmas, the miracle of Christmas, is that God can shine a light into your darkness. But I want you to look at with me a little bit further in this passage. I want you to understand that Christmas describes to us God's miracles, but those miracles tend to always be surprising to us. 
Go to verses number uh, 12 through 15, and then we'll even skip down to, to verse number 17 and read a little bit further. And it says in verse number 12, when Zechariah, now Zechariah has gone to the temple to set up the scene, and he's doing his work as a, as a priest in the temple. They were on rotations, usually about two weeks long, and he was doing his work. And now he's in the temple doing his work, and it says, when Zechariah saw him, speaking of the angel, he was startled and gripped with fear. I think this is interesting. Most of us say, God, wouldn't you show up? Wouldn't you appear to me? God, would you send an angel to talk to me? Come on, how many of you have ever prayed for something like that? Oh, I don't see too many hands, but I, I kind of see some smiles. Can I tell you, if God did that, you'd probably be scared to death. Right? He says he's, he's startled, he's gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Oh, there's a lot here. To turn hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, there's a lot of stuff we want to look at here. First thing I want to note for you this evening is this truth. God surprised Zechariah as he followed God in his normal manner. At work in the temple of God, the angel appeared. Can I tell to you, God, tell you God might surprise you tonight before you go to bed? God might show up in your life with his miracle even when you've been praying for it. That's something else that we can see here. Zechariah was praying for a miracle. What miracle was he praying for? The angel tells you. He says, your prayers have been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you are to name him John. How many of you understand that that points to us that Zechariah had been praying that he would and his wife would have a baby? It had been one of his prayers. So the angel shows up and says, God heard your prayer. Can I tell you, friends, sometimes you and I have given up on our prayers because we didn't think God had showed up on time. Come on now. We didn't think that God had taken notice of what we were asking for. I want you to know, sometimes we think that God is too late for our answer. Because it says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old. God, if you could have showed up in our 30s. God, if you could have showed up in our 40s. God, the clock was getting late, but maybe in our early 50s. We don't know how old they were. But according to this, they were very old. We probably lean to believe they were probably, in their, probably somewhere in their 50s or maybe approaching 60. Now, most folks understand, you're not probably going to be having too many babies in that time range, are you? The only babies you're going to be having are probably grandbabies, Right? And if you have a baby then, everybody, you might even make the news. Hello? It becomes renowned. It becomes remarkable. But her, their prayers had been heard. I want you to understand that Christmas time is a time when prayers are heard. Oh, I thought somebody's saying amen right there. Anybody been praying? Anybody want your answers heard? Well, praise God it's Christmas time because that's a time when God's willing to hear and answer prayers. We see it right here. 
The next thing we see, the third thing we can see is that the angel speaks to Zechariah about, oh, I love this, about the destiny, about the upbringing, about the spiritual purpose of his soon-to-be-born son. And he gives him insight that he is the forerunner of the Messiah. I mean, the angel says to him, I want you to understand you're going to have a son, but this isn't going to be a normal son. He's going to be a son that's going to be set apart to God from the earliest days of his, of his life. And even when he is formed in the womb, he's not one that should not drink for a minute drink. He is one that you need to understand God's hand is upon him. And on top of all of that, I want to give you his name. You need to understand. You need to name him John. There's a reason. God has a purpose. Friends, I want you to understand something tonight. God has a purpose for your family. Oh, some of you finally said an amen. You're like, man, yes. God's got a purpose for my family. Let me tell you something. He begins to give him an insight. Remember years later in Matthew chapter 17. Now listen, this is a great tie-in. Verses 10 through 13. Jesus was talking to his disciples. And it says, the disciples asked him, speaking of Jesus. Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? How many of you remember that? And then it continues. Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they have done to him everything they wished. In the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands, then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now, you have to just kind of piece this together. Can I tell you, the people had been praying for 400 years that the Messiah would come, and Malachi had told them that before that, that the Messiah came, that a forerunner was coming. That the forerunner was going to be coming. L listen to it. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That was the word. They were looking for Elijah to come back. They had an anticipation that he would come back because God had taken him away in a chariot of fire, right? Well, maybe he's just going to come back down in, in a chariot of fire. We'll know that the Messiah is coming because we'll see that fiery chariot. That's going to be something special. But I want you to understand that when the angel spoke to him, he tells him specifically that he is coming in the spirit of Elijah. How many of you hear that? He gives him an answer about his destiny. He says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Here it is. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Almost matching word for word the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4. Powerful stuff. God speaks to them a light. He says to them, I want you to understand that this Christmas season is going to be powerful because God is beginning to work in the midst of all of these things that are taking place. It's a season of victory and of hope. Has God told you something so straightforwardly that you doubted it could be? Come on. In your prayer time, has God spoke to you something and you said, now God, I don't really think that could happen. Come on now. Complete healing. You'll save my kids. You'll help the ones that are lost in darkness find great light. 
Can I tell you, you're not alone if you're a doubter. Don't go to the first Christmas story. Verses 18 through 20, Luke 1, still there. This is what it says. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is, she's not here, but she's well along in years too, right? She's well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. You know, I read that just a few days ago and something hit me. Gabriel says to him, you're going to not be able to speak anymore because I'm sending you a message that came from God. But can I tell you, friends, sometimes you and I are guilty of doubting a word that doesn't come from an angel but comes directly from God. What does that say to us? I don't think God likes it when we doubt his words. I think God wants us to be recipients of the light that he is giving to us. Last thought I want you to look with me at this evening, which is this. Christmas is a time to celebrate God's mercy and his many miracles. There are so many twists and turns. But the most immediate miracle is just like in the days of Abram and Sarai, who were elderly and received the son of promise, Isaac. Zechariah and Elizabeth are blessed by God with a son which is a promise in their old age. It says in verses 23 through 25, look at verse, chapter 1 of Luke, it says in the 23rd verse, when the time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor. I want you to look at somebody and say favor. You read the Christmas story and you keep hearing this word emerge, this word favor. Can I tell you that God extends at Christmas favor? Praise God. Listen to what it says. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This was really the big gift that they were longing for. At Christmas time, a lot of you have either been recipients of or givers of a big gift. How many of you have ever, under the tree, you knew there were lots of gifts, but you understood that there was a big gift that was going to be given? Anybody ever been in, in a, at a Christmas like that? I remember one year, years and years ago, when I was at home as a teenager, my, my grandmother wanted a grandfather clock, one of those big grandfather clocks for Christmas. And, and my grandfather ordered one for her, had it delivered, had it hidden in my parents' garage. And it was hot, hidden there. And then on Christmas Eve night, because that's when we opened presents, they were, all, everybody was opening presents. And then with a dolly, they rolled in the big present. The grandfather clock that was in the huge box. And my grandmother was astonished that, could it be? And wow, and all those things. But you know, sometimes it comes in a big box. But how many of you know that sometimes the big present comes in a little box? Right? Well, sometimes it's that little box that's the one that's the, the big present. All for your kids. How many of you know that sometimes the big present is a, a video gaming system? 
Or if you've got a teenage daughter, it's the, the leather boots. Or for your husband, it, the big present might be the power tools. <laughs> right? Or ladies, the big present might be the little box from the jewelry store. Right? Now, there's a lot of other presents that are there. But what I want you to understand that the big gift of Christmas is that God sent the Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world. One of the gifts for Zechariah and for Elizabeth was a son. It was huge for them. But the big gift was that the Messiah was coming. In the, uh, this account, the big miracle for this family was the child. The, the prayers that they'd prayed, <coughs> the answer to their dreams, they received it. I, I want to tell you, can I tell you this Christmas season, you can receive the answer that you've been praying for. Some of you say, well, pastor, it's late in the year and I've prayed for it all year. <laughs> I'm running out of year. I've only got a few days left. This was going to be my year. Can I tell you, God is never late with his promises. He's always on time in our lives. He's always right there meeting our needs. Well, in this account, we see that Zechariah, we don't have time to read all this, but Zechariah, because of his disobedience or doubting more so, had been unable to speak or to talk. And I have to believe something about this, that if you're not able to talk, anybody ever had a really sore throat and, and lost your voice? A few of you have. I've had that happen before. When it hurts to talk or you can't talk, you understand that you become a little more introspective, don't you? You don't have a choice about it, really. You can't communicate with others like you usually would. And so you tend to draw in. You begin to think a little bit more. You begin to process the, the things that are going on around you. And, and I have to believe that that's exactly what took place with Zechariah for these several months that he was no longer able to speak. I want to just say something. Quiet times with God aren't necessarily bad. Many times they're very important and they're good. And this quiet time... They help us to reset our spiritual compass and to build our faith. It's Psalm 46, verse 10 that says, He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What does that talk to us about? It talks to us about the fact that when we're quiet, we know and we begin to remember that God is in charge of everything. The good and the bad. The miracles, the Things that he's spoken to us, we begin to process them. I believe that during those nine months, maybe ten months, however long it was of that pregnancy and the, that season from the time that the angel appeared and, until she, uh, his wife gave birth to this son, that he began, Zechariah began to think about all those words that the angel spoke to him. They ran through his mind. They processed through his spirit. In the midst of that, Zechariah had time to think about what God had said. He had time to think of the, of the child that God had, had given him and the ordained ministry that was going to be a part of his life and, and how he was to be a part of preparing this child. Can I tell you, friends, you have a part to play in the plan of God. Oh, I figured you'd say amen to that. Can, can I tell you, Zechariah had a part to play in John the Baptist's upbringing. 
I believe that there were times when John the Baptist was a little guy or even a young man or a teen or even a young adult that his father spoke words of life and encouragement and hope over him. Said to them things like, John, I want you to know that before you were even born, there was an angel that appeared to me when I was in service at the temple of God in Jerusalem. And he said to me, son, that there is a powerful anointing on your life. And that God has called you for such a time as this. To be a, a man who has God's word to speak to this nation. To declare that the Messiah is coming. John, I don't you ever forget that God has his hand on your life. Can I tell you, parents, grandparents, that those words of affirmation are powerful words that need to be declared over your children. They speak life. Now here's the thing about kids. How many of you... You know, sometimes your kids will say, nuh-uh. I don't know about that, Dad. I don't think I'm very special. I wonder about what you say. You and Mom say you have heard all these things, but I don't know. Come on now. That can't diminish our encouragement of them about the destiny and the plan of God. And I believe during those nine or ten months, all of a sudden it began to just sift down into Zechariah's spirit. Verses 59 through 62 says, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke to, and said, No, he used to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Look, come on. Thank you guys forever to get pregnant. Yeah, I need that name after somebody in the family. Right? Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And we know that he responded, his name is John. What was that? Sometimes it takes us a little while to decide to become obedient, doesn't it? But after nine or so months, Zachariah said, you know, I think I'm going to get on the bandwagon of believing that the, uh, what the angel said. Let's name him John. His father was transformed by this quiet trial and, and his season of silence was something that didn't make him bitter. It made him better. And I want to tell you something, friends. Sometimes your trial will make you a better person. On the other side of this, in this first Christmas story, the, the, the message of the forerunner coming so that the Messiah was going to be coming right behind, we hear that this man, he goes through a trial and he didn't, First thing he says, say, well, that would took long enough, God. Why nine months of no speaking? Right? No, you, you hear that he begins to praise God. Can I tell you, we should praise God in our, in our trials. Listens to the words of faith that bless this father speaks over his son. Verses 76 through 79, we'll end with this. It says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. I want you to understand what he is saying, I believe, over this little baby that is in arms. You will be a, called a prophet of the Most High. And you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness. And to shine in, in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. 
said to that little baby, he said to that little boy, he said to that child, he said to that young man, you are to be called a prophet of the Most High. God has a purpose for your life. There's a reason you're here, son. And God is going to use you every day of your life. Friends, can I tell you that that first Christmas story doesn't begin when all of a sudden Gabriel shows up beginning to speak to Mary. It begins with the account of how God wants to shine darkness into the darkness a great light. It began with Zechariah and Elizabeth hearing their prayers had been answered and that God had an answer for them. My statement to you this, this evening is simply that. God has an answer for you this Christmas season to bring light 